0: I'm Aria
1: and this is Ren. I'm Ren and that was Aria.
0: <laughs> and we are back at it again with another episode of The Unfinished
1: Mind. What are we talking about today, Ren? Well, you know, I thought we could take a chance this week, take a risk, you know, oh. maybe, oh. maybe start thinking about something uh, You know, know, thinking about travel again, it's been a long time since we've thought about travel, but you know, I've always wanted to hit up, I guess like when I was, when I was a wee child, I hit up Las Vegas and Las Vegas Vegas is not a fun place to go when you're a child. But I imagine that now that I'm less of a child, it would be much more enjoyable. I actually have a story about this.
0: So when I was younger, I think I was around like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. My family and I, we went to Vegas and I remember <laughs> being so weirded out, seeing all of the posters and like, mm-hmm. the show titles and stuff. I mean, oh, yeah, there's only so much you can avoid as a kid in Las Vegas. But right. the
1: highlight of that trip was Circus Circus, the kids casino. Oh, Circus Circus. I never went in it. I always looked at it and I was like, now that looks like the place to be rather than this scary uh, casino floor that I'm on right yeah. now. And my parents and I loved it.
0: You know, I had a mug that I was very angry when the handle broke and my mother threw oh. away. Oh, that's so tragic. But I guess, you know, we were just taking a chance, had some fun time
1: doing some kitty gambling. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean kitty gambling is good because, you know, when you go to the actual casino floor and you're a kid, they do kick you off of it very yeah, I was, I was ushered into a bathroom once because I was on the casino floor. So they, oh they said, you can't be here. You're a child. And <laughs> they basically just shoved me into the bathroom to wait for my family until they were done gambling. She so yeah, yeah. It was a fun experience. It was interesting uh, to say the least. It was okay. My mom eventually was like, what, what, what is going on? <laughs> Why is my child in the bathroom? Why is my child in the bathroom?
0: <laughs> my child has been imprisoned prison to a bathroom please get them out
1: <laughs> <laughs> release them but yeah you know i think you know gambling right that's like kind of the, the the shtick of las vegas
0: it's it's huge people go there to make fortunes lose
1: fortunes that's just gambling that's gambling you got the pro gamblers the people who get like on tv for it there was that guy who ended up winning Jeopardy, like millions on Jeopardy, but he was actually a pro gambler for his job. Remember him? He was fun. I can't Wait, that's name. real? Like a pro gambler won Jeopardy? Won millions on Jeopardy. He's the second like second best of all time. Wow. Uh, to have that
0: skill and to waste away like the gambler that you are. Uh, James Holtzauer.
1: James okay. Holtzauer. That was the guy. Yeah, James, was- James, you're doing good. Shout out to James for, for that. That was good stuff. Uh, Pro-gambler, pro-Jeopardy, very smart. And speaking of facts and also gambling, that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> some, some that's facts right, gambling. gambling. Yeah. Ren so and I lost ourselves it. in the sauce again. We did. Uh, we got a little lost on that intro, but you know. But an interesting fact I'd like to actually start off with is that when you think about America
0: or you think about the United States, you think about money, you think about, the American dream in quotation marks and making a lot of money and being able to make a lot of money and sometimes that's through gambling but so then you would assume that Americans are like prolific gamblers like one of the gambliest of the world you know for sure but actually it's Australians that are the most prolific gamblers in the world
1: wow. per capita
0: spending but
1: they're the most that is interesting What's going on in Australia? Uh, apparently, people—they're just feeling a little, uh, you know, a little fun, a little fun and silly, like taking chances. I don't know. Maybe they're just adventurous like that. Honestly, I wouldn't put that past the Australians because with those large
0: animals and bugs there in their, in their country, I would I fully expect them to be used.
1: Every, every day, when you're in Australia and you're an Australian, every day is a gamble. You wake up, it's a gamble. <laughs> you're gambling with yeah. your life every day you're in Australia. You're gambling with the kangaroos and the large alligators. That. Mad respect, mad respect. <laughs> Human-sized bats. But you know, we've been throwing this word around a lot, gambling, but we haven't actually wow. like talked about what gambling is yet. Define it for um, us. I think I will. I think I will. So if you look at, at Britannica you know, let's get a little classical classical definition of gambling for you before we kind of colloquialize it. Gambling is the betting or staking of something of value with consciousness of risk and hope of gain on the outcome of a game, a contest, or a certain event, or an uncertain event whose result may be determined by chance or accident, or have an unexpected result by reason of the bettor's miscalculation. In other words, it is a calculated risk that you take with your with something of value to you, it can be money, it can be your house, <laughs> there's lots of stuff that you can First gamble with, child. right? Yeah, yeah, all of all of the above, right, and um, essentially, like, usually this takes place in the form of a game, and we're familiar with, like, the common games, blackjack, poker, roulette, all of these things are prime examples of what gambling is, but at the end of the day, it's a bet you're 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 hedging your bet on something uh and it's either entirely up to chance or you can calculate it a little bit like if you bet on horse racing there's a level of expertise that goes into that if you play poker and you're really good at it and you can like count cards and that that's not so much of a risk as like the lay person who goes to Vegas gets nice and you know enjoys the festivities of Vegas as it were and ends up spending $10,000 in a weekend because they just simply don't know how to gamble correctly, right? So that's what makes it a gamble. You're taking a big chance, big risk, and you know what? You roll the dice, you might hit the ice. You never know. You never know.
0: That's just how gambling works. But how does it actually apply to the law sphere of the world, like the legality of gambling? Well, Yeah, because isn't it like heavily illegal? (laughs) I mean... Yes, uh, it is very illegal in the way that it's very restricted, I would say. So like gambling is legal under very heavy restriction in all states. So today, like under U.S. federal law, lots of restrictions, but they do still allow like interstate and online gambling and, like, it's dependent on the state on how they regulate gambling laws. So it's up to the state on what they do. So, like, Nevada, obviously, where La- Las Vegas is located,
1: mm-hmm.
0: has, I would say, more relaxed restrictions when it comes to gambling. But states like, I, I-, I would even say Texas, very strict gambling laws You know, even betting is very highly regulated. Like, for example, betting horse races. That stuff is illegal, technically. It has to be very highly regulated. There's lots of rules that you need to follow as an organization that allows betting. It's just an interesting thing to look at when it comes to the legality of it. Gambling is considered a victimless crime. However, like drugs or doing drugs is also considered a victimless crime. There is still a victim in that situation. Both take lives. Gambling takes lives. Drugs take lives. You know, there's nothing truly victimless.
1: No one's playing poker to kill. You know, it's just that um, people get so hooked on it that it ends up, ruining some people and they get themselves into a real pickle, um, of, of debt and like Mm -hmm. actual life-shaking, uh, misfortune. So it's, it's pretty good that we regulate it heavily. You, you might think, well, it's just gambling, but it's not, you know, in the same way that like alcohol is not just alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh, it ruins lives too.
0: In the United States, many lives have been ruined by gambling. I think, One prime example, which not many people actually know is that gambling and casino ownership has ruined Native American lives. So we call it the story of the setup, essentially. So casinos are a huge, if not primary source of revenue on many Native American reservations. So in 2018, those casinos on Native American reservations earned over $32 million. And these tribal casinos are found in like 28 out of the 50 states. So there's a lot of them. And just as we said that gambling is considered a victimless crime, but it really isn't. Gambling has affected Native American society in the United States and on reservations.
1: And in Canada. I was just going to say it's also a really big problem in Canada. It's a, it's like yep. a North American affliction.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for adding that. Oh, I was missing it. Sorry. Didn't mean to exclude. But no worries. <laughs> no, it's because I want that truth to be there. Yeah.
1: Um, it's not the whole truth. I've got to put it in there. Absolutely. And I only harp on it because shout out to my Canadian relatives um, who <laughs> deal with this. So, Thank
0: you for listening. Okay. Hopefully.
1: Really <laughs> <laughs> <It'll be> embarrassing <laughs> if they don't.
0: <laughs> Anyways, so how did this setup kind of start? Essentially what I'm trying to say is how did the setup of the government giving Native Americans casino ownership even start? So it actually started in 1970 when a Chippewa couple living on Native American land received a property tax bill that they felt was like unjust. So they took it all the way to the Supreme Court and they won. The Supreme Court upheld that states can neither tax nor regulate Native American activities on their reservations. So with this freedom, Native Americans began to establish casinos on reservations since they weren't affected by state laws on gambling. So they were like, you know what, if we open a casino, that's big money right there. We're not going to get taxed for it sounds like a good idea to me.
1: Like any, like any, you know, American business person, uh, capitalist business person, they saw a demand and they um,
0: met it. So slight changes to the situation regarding Native Americans opening casinos on their land occurred when the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act of 1988 was passed. This law still allowed tribes to build and run casinos, though the state had to approve of the casino placement and the gambling was regulated by the federal government. These casinos allow some reservations economic stability, but the benefits vary widely and it has made many Native Americans more susceptible to developing gambling addictions. So this is just the way that I guess human society is, is that when you put something like gambling in front of them with almost free reign, there can only be a limited amount of benefits to that community because especially something like gambling will affect a community in a different way. And you can't expect all benefits is what I'm saying
1: right you just had you know it's the it's socioeconomic theory right um you see it when like if you consider impoverished neighborhoods in the u.s often have a higher like concentration of liquor stores than they do grocery stores you know that's mm-hmm. just another similar example of how it's like our society allows these uh sort of like pitfalls in areas where um the less privileged are and in this case with the Native Americans in gambling, that was their, like, having casinos as their one sort of of gambling addiction. uh, Let's kind of dive into what we mean by that, because a lot of people maybe don't assume or associate gambling with addiction right off the bat. Like, you you would associate drugs or alcohol or even, like, pornography and that kind of thing. You'd immediately associate that with addiction. But gambling is one that kind of gets overlooked, I think, sometimes. Um, But gambling actually plays into our survival instincts and sort of the same dopamine pathways that these like instant gratification and adrenaline rush sort of stimulants do. So things like that I just listed, you know, alcohol, drugs, that kind of thing, it plays into the same neural pathway, which is pretty interesting. So the brain will reinforce a behavior that um, is, sorry. Sorry. The brain will reinforce a behavior that stimulates a rush of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter um, in your brain. If it is transmitted in large quantities, that action or behavior is deemed essential to survival. And when we gamble and we take a chance on something and get rewarded for it, we win. The validation, the dopamine rush that comes from that is a positive survival output and our evolutionary brains, if you just go all the way back to monkey brain, you know, that pathway ends up getting preserved by our brains. Our brains will reinforce that and make it something that we want to do or a behavior we want to replicate. So it actually mimics the psychopathology of drug users in the same way, Um, In 2013, there's a lot of research that confirmed the connection between dopamine and problem gambling. However, it's not possible to fully attribute gambling to just this dopaminergic response. So there's actually the potential for a lot of other stimulation uh, in gambling that triggers the reward center of the brain. And that intricacy is a active live wire vein of study in neurology and neuroscience right now. So we can't really say conclusively that dopamine is the only thing that makes gambling addictive, but it's probably plays a role just based on what we know from addiction studies broadly. So this reward seeking human psyche, you know, it's, it's, we as humans really like rewards. We like to get good things in reward for our actions and behaviors. And that gets taken advantage of by things like slot machines and casinos, because, um, There's flashing lights and there's high-pitched sounds and just a lot of neurostimulants. The colors and the myriad artworks on the exterior, all of that, it's it's designed to be super attractive to our brains and rewarding when we win, right? So modern casinos typically earn 70 to 80% of their revenue from slot machines and from these big, fancy, loud machines that take advantage of our reward system and that just you know sort of adds to to the fact the factors that make gambling addictive <sighs> gambling addiction is a twofold problem first people are hardwired to respond to the stimulus that chance provides in the same way they respond to survival necessities which would be the dopamine response and second game designers are free to exploit that without any legal repercussions i repeat <laughs> Without any legal repercussions, people can design these slot machines to be as attractive and rewarding to us as possible. And for all of these reasons, we in the neuroscience community need to keep studying gambling. It's a really hot topic in research. Why? Because gambling is a naturalistic and pervasive example of risky decision making. It provides a paradigm for the investigation of human choice and behavior, of irrationality. It helps us understand. How people work, why they make the decisions that they do, especially the ones that seem irrational, right? Like spending all of your money in a single weekend in Vegas, right? Why would we do that? Well, it's important that we study it to kind of understand the pathology behind gambling and how it is conceptualized behaviorally. So, gambling addiction, in short, involves a few components. First, we see something like compulsive gambling, the uncontrollable urge to gamble and to take these big risks despite the negative consequences and a preoccupation with it, uh, obsessive thinking. It's all we can think about, it's all we wanna do, right? Compared to substance addiction, like alcoholism, the pathological issues don't tend to surface with gambling until later. So after the gambling obsession has progressed for quite some time, then it starts to, people start to realize, oh, this is a, this is a big issue. You know, and by that time you've spent a lot of money. Typically, it is also comorbid with other psychological disorders, which would mean that we send we tend to see other things pop up when people um, gamble often. And whether that's like a causal relationship, no one no one can say. It's simply a correlation. It just happens to be a present factor uh, with a bunch of other sort of morbidities that people face and psychological disorders that people face. Another thing with gambling is that people often feel the need to hide how much they're doing it because they feel heavy negative emotions when they lose, right? And the money lost from gambling is a huge factor that contributes to this repeated cycle of sort of hiding your bad habits, right? Hiding your bad habits so you don't get punished. And what this all that I've talked about with gambling edition, what that kind of leads to is severe withdrawal effects. So if you are addicted to gambling and you stop or you try to stop gambling, the effects are comparable to substance withdrawal. So you may experience restlessness and irritability, depression, anger, and guilt. All of these things are commonly seen with people who try to stop gambling. And it's just a really interesting uh, thing to look at because this is a behavior, you know, it's not something, it's not something you take. It's not something that you like put in your body, it's just an action that you do that builds up to the point of having severe psychological effects on you. And when you try to stop, you like can't because of all the negative things that prevent you from wanting to stop.
0: It's like a drug that you don't have to ingest. It activates those same pathways, that those pathways are so I guess integral to our system and how it works. Uh it's just very fascinating. That gambling just plays on that. We can get so addicted to it so easily.
1: Absolutely. Something to think Absolutely. About. Something to consider.
0: And, you know, I, we mentioned this in one of our early episodes too, but, you know, gambling is kind of like social media, same pathway, honestly, same like reward pathway in the brain. You know, you have that little like. Button, which is very equivalent to that little ding that you hear from casino machines.
1: Yeah, There's I would definitely say festivals. that. Right. Yeah, I would say you're right about that with the re- like the activation of the reward pathway. I don't know if like social media grants you the same level of like success that you might get from winning in a gambling situation, but I guess if you get a bunch of likes on your latest. Uh, beach pick or whatever it may be, then that might feel.
0: you're charging like $500,000 per post,
1: (laughs) it's a lot of money. Man, you could charge that much? Huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I've got some investing to do. I'm
0: pretty sure like two years ago, I'm pretty sure it's gone up from now.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I think I'm going to look into that, see what I can do. Talk to my (laughs) publicists right yeah let's go talk to our publicists well that
0: is the end of this week's episode thank you for tuning in everyone thank you for taking a gamble on our episode
1: just take a chance on me you know like the abba (laughs) song thanks thanks guys appreciate you this was Arya. and this was ren thank you very
0: much everyone have
1: a great week the Unfinished Mind is brought to you by
0: the Polymathic Scholars. Our scriptwriters this week were Akshi Pant, Arianne Austria, Liz Knerk, and Rhea Gogia. Sound design by Jensen Richardson and Ameris Mendoza. Produced by Natalie Lim and Sai Cheruvu. Our publicist is Claire Nevins. Hosted by Arya Bakre and Red Smith. Thanks for listening and remember to follow your curiosity.